This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. Hey, VREP community, it's Adam Scalina. And Matt Scalina. And if you're joining us today, you really should be spending time with your family, but we shame are- Shame on you. Yeah, shame on you. Um, we, we all know, Matt, you're probably about three pieces into a thousand piece puzzle, and I'm uh, considering uh, eating the orange that I got in my stock. <laughs> These are, <laughs> some big These are very specific yeah. things <laughs> yeah, no related kidding. to the Christmas uh, season. But we're bringing, but we're, but we're bringing a couple episodes here. We're taking a couple weeks off. Yes. I never thought we'd do this, but no. we're taking a couple weeks off, and we're bringing back some some of the bangers of the past. Yes, absolutely. And this is one of our favorite. It is Brad Lamb, and I, I got to say, I appreciate Brad Lamb partly because he pulls absolutely no punches. He's one of the most successful developers in Canada, and uh, when we actually called brad for this interview he was nego- he, he put us on a hold for two seconds well he negotiated a very very large deal i you know what it was almost if it if it didn't if it wasn't real it was real but yeah. it almost seemed like a, an 80s power move like he called us and he was like i said two bills yeah. hold on guys like, yeah gotta th- i gotta this. take this and then he was like a billion dollars or, or i'm out and then he was like okay let's Sold do this for yeah. a billion five <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly it was crazy though it was crazy inside inside uh the the dealings of brad lamb yeah also our favorite thing about brad lamb was clearly 
his ads that came out in uh, Ontario. That guy changed the game for real estate ads this using lamb. just a lamb and a spacesuit. <laughs> Slam sells condos. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, we, we'll, let's cut to the let's cut to the chase here. The man who needs no introduction. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's an old an old episode, but one of our favorites. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Brad Lamb, uh, broker and owner and real estate developer from uh, Toronto. How are you doing, Brad? I'm great, thank you. Yeah, thanks for taking the time today, Brad. Uh, it's my pleasure. So, so, Brad, can you maybe start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, you mean professionally, I'll just say. <laughs> uh, well, so I... I, I um, I went to university in Ontario at Queens and while I was, while I was in university, I, I took uh, mechanical engineering and, and I realized in year three, it wasn't what I wanted to be. I finished it. I got a job as an engineer and, and I, I, I basically just plotted my, my exit from that industry into real estate, which the easiest and lowest hanging thing was to get a real estate license. I had been buying real estate in the four years that I worked as an engineer and, um, I, I just loved it. I mean, it was it, it got me excited every day. So I just you know went from uh, being a, a small to medium sized investor, getting my real estate license, uh, being a real estate agent, then a broker, then a substantial broker, and doing a lot of work for developers uh, as their as their brokerage rep and advisor. And then I I decided at uh, at some point in the early two thousands that. I thought I knew more than they did, which, by the way, I didn't, but I thought I did. And I became a real estate developer and jumped right in with two feet and, and started developing. And, and and so it's been an evolution since 2002 to now, you know, where we're at today. So, Brad, it sounds like uh, I'm always interested in how people find real estate. You you were an engineer. Like, how did you how did you get interested in real estate in the first place? Well, I mean, I've always been, uh, I've always been a salesperson, you know, and um, uh, as a little kid, I, I, you know, everyone says they sold things, they had, you know, they sold Kool-Aid, but I, I, I went farther than that. I sold everything. I had ice cream sales, uh, ice cream sundays, or sorry, ice cream sandwich sales. I had fairs. I had barbecues. I had charming shows. I had uh, movies. Uh, I sold everything that I buy and resell, everything. And, and uh, I loved the idea of selling things and creating value from what I saw as nothing. Like you could go to the local uh, shopping store and buy, you know, freeze pops that were a cent piece. And then you could freeze them, which cost nothing because my mother's freezer for me was free. And I could sell them for five cents in 1968 you know, or 69. And I could sell as many as I could do. And because the kids are so desperate for things to do. Um, you know, there was two or three TV stations. There was no computers or internet. They were starved for things. So it was always exciting when I brought out new events and new products. And I loved that idea. So I, I um, first and foremost, I see myself as a, someone who sells things, sells ideas, sells products. I got into real estate. I, I saw it as an opportunity. I always liked it. I mean, I always sketched malls and buildings when I was a kid. Um, and I loved, you know, there were certain games about land and real estate that I just loved playing. Um, but when I was in my second year, I, I, at Queens, we, a bunch of us had rented a house and at the end of the year, the house went up for sale and we were paying $1,100, sorry, $900 a month, um, rent on this in 1980, 
two, and um, and the house was up for sale for fifty five thousand dollars. And I I grabbed my calculator and I you know I, I looked at that and I thought wow the the net income on this is off the charts. So you know with ten percent down, which you could buy a property for ten percent down and rent it. So five or six thousand dollars. You can you can literally make literally make uh, you know four or five thousand dollars a year in positive cash flow, pay off your mortgage, and of course hope for the best in terms of capital appreciation. So I realized that this was something it was it was very low brow, it, you know <clears throat> nothing compared to being doing engineering. I just thought wow, it's that easy, and this is what people don't understand. It is that easy. It's that simple. You buy real estate. You rent it for more money than it costs you, and you put it away forever. So once I saw that, I, I got bitten by it, and I, I the first thing I did was uh, I formed a company um, with my two brothers who, who weren't really interested, but I kind of bullied them into it. And my dad gave my younger brother some money. I put in my savings, some work, and, and my older brother put in the same amount of money. We bought a townhouse in London, Ontario, and we rented it to my little brother who was going to med school at the time with uh, three friends. So we rented it for $800 a month and, and we bought the place for 32000 So you could see the math. It worked really well. And I just, I just uh, from that point on, I just kept buying more and more real estate. I was really quite addicted to it. Um, you know, I'd sell something and buy three, uh, sell those a year and a half later and buy six. You know, I, I kept trying to expand and, 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 and the thing about it was that what got me to get a real estate license was the fact that I really like selling and my engineering job was, was quite oriented towards sales. Um, and I had been trained professionally to be better at sales, um, through that, that job. And, and, um, and, and then I, I, you know, I asked my real estate agent at the time, how much money did you make for me last year in commission? And he said $70,000 and I had made 50 as an engineer. I thought, well, <laughs> that. I'll make $70,000 and I'll sell myself stuff and I'll be better off than I was as an engineer and I'll see all the opportunities, you know, and be able to be full time in real estate. And I never considered being a real estate agent, so to speak. I thought I'd represent myself. But then I went to real estate school and people are having a hard time calculating mortgage payments. I thought, wow, <laughs> this is going to be like stealing candy from a baby. So I, I stole the candy for the babies. <laughs> um, so, wow, that's, 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 that's a great story. That's a great story. <laughs> um, so, Brad, so we've got a, a, a ton of listeners that are, are you know, investors and um, also uh, real estate agents that are probably looking at your career and wanting to follow in your footsteps. What, what's one piece of advice, maybe an overarching piece of advice that you'd, you'd give to aspiring real estate moguls? Well, you know, I think the first thing is that you have to take it a step at a time. Like, I, I, you know, I don't think that in 1988, when I left my my job, that I ever considered I'd be where I am today. I I just could, I didn't think that large. I mean, I eventually did. Eventually, after selling real estate and being good at it and making some money, and I, I became a millionaire, I set these goals that by 60, I wanted to be a billionaire. And, and, uh, I've, you know, I worked hard towards that. So having goals is important, but, but also if you don't reach your goals, not, not to worry, you know, you can still, you can, you can kick the, 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 uh, can down the street a bit. But I think, I think more than anything, what I did was I always 
took as much money as I could from my earnings. And I lived, uh, you know, I'm not going to say I lived simply because I, I, I didn't live simply, but I didn't live, like I lived at my parents' house till I was 30 or 31. And I, I, when I left my parents' house, I was a millionaire. And in 1980, 1990, that was a lot of money. Um, and I only could do that because I accumulated every dollar I could and I invested in real estate and I, I had a shitty car. Um, I, you know, dressed well, but not, not, uh, you know, ex- extremely well. I wasn't crazy. I, I didn't have the best watch in the world. I did, I did everything I could to take my money and, and put it into the system. And I realized that the faster I did that and the younger, the younger age I was, the more time it would have to earn me money. Right. The problem is if you start at 50, it's not impossible, but it's harder than if you start at 24. So I started right away and I put as much money as I could. When I, when I was working for developers on a, on a, let's say a 200 unit building, I would buy four or five apartments and I would struggle because, you know, it would require me coming up with 200 something, you know, $200,000 in posits and I have to get mortgages. And the, the developers who I work with say, what are you, why are you buying all these condos? I say, well, wait a minute, you're building these buildings and you don't see the value in what you're doing? I'm like, well, not, not like, what are you going to do, rent them? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to rent them. You're selling these for $160,000 and the rent is $1,200 and interest rates are five or five and a half. Do the math. It makes sense. You, you actually make a positive cash flow. And if you believe that the marketplace is going to increase, which every year you've been developing, you've raised your prices, it makes sense. So I talked. To, I talked to many of the people that I was working for and with into buying real estate. They didn't. They didn't even believe in their own product. So I did it through condominium purchasing. I didn't do it through in the early days, commercial real estate or single-family homes or duplexes or triplexes. I started out that way, and I hated being a slumlord. I wanted to rent to lawyers and doctors in their twenties and thirties that would pay me rent every month and not call me all the time. So I kind of focused on real estate that was for the upper, you know, upper middle class, but sort of, you know, that, that, that element back in those days, it made seventy five, eighty thousand $80,000 and could afford a one bedroom. And, and so I would say the, so I'm rambling a little bit, but the one piece of advice I'd say is do everything you can to get your money in the system without taking, and this is the balance without taking too big a risk and, and, you know, and, and over investing and getting yourself in trouble. So it's a balance. It's hard to reach. You're always going to feel like you could have done more. Like I look back now on the mistakes I made on things I should have bought. And I'm not talking about millions. I'm talking about billions of dollars of money I could have made if I didn't pull back. But then, you know, what could have happened is there could have been a, a bigger, deeper recession or could have been, um, you know, something else that happened when it didn't. And, and, and I wouldn't be standing today. So it's all about balance and taking risk without taking too much risk. So, so Brad, we have a lot of, of uh, listeners that are are just trying to get into the market. I think, especially in a place like Vancouver, where it's it's pretty tough to get in. It sounds like you bought a number of investment properties before you ever bought a, a principal residence. Is that kind of a route you take, or do you think it's it's smarter to buy a principal residence first? Well, I think I think you got to do what you can do. When I when I so whenever you're starting out in your 20s, you can never afford uh, what you want. Like, uh, you know, I remember a friend of mine was very wealthy. His dad was very wealthy. And, 
and, and he was living, he was renting in an amazing condo downtown, and I was living in my parents' basement, which was nice. It was a nice house. It had a pool and everything. My parents had some money, but it was, you know, I wasn't taking chicks home and shagging them like this guy was. I, I, I was living at my parents' house, you know? And the guy had a BMW, and, and I had a Volkswagen, used Volkswagen Jetta, and I'd drive down and see this guy, I'd be like, holy f***, like he lives in this building at the back, there's this outdoor pool, and at six o'clock on a Saturday, it's filled with girls. You know, I'm like, yeah. what am I doing? But you know, what I did was I said, okay, I'm going to live for a later day. So I, I stayed uh, from 22 when I finished school to 30. I lived as long as I could till my father threw me out in his house, uh, their house, and I saved a ton of money. And I, I bought, I probably bought and sold 30 properties in that eight years. Oh. And, and not only did I make money, but I also became very seasoned and very knowledgeable about real estate because I practiced it all the time. I could analyze things and, you know, faster. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't second guess myself, which pretty well everyone does when they buy real estate. They can't believe it could be true. Like why, like why am I so lucky to find this amazing thing to buy? And they, they don't buy it because they, they get afraid. So, uh, you know, uh, for first-time buyers, the, the key is you, you want to get in the market. So what did I do? I bought a townhouse in London with my with my two brothers. That was my first foray into real estate, and I didn't buy. So in in uh, in, in 1988 or 87, before the it was 88 before the market crashed, I bought a condominium from Floor Plans for a hundred and sorry for a hundred and one thousand dollars. At Jarvis and Gerard, which was the the Harveys across the street, was called Hooker Hooker Harveys because all the hookers used to hang up front. And I said, I, it doesn't matter to me. I want to be in the city, and I know that eventually this this will be worth more than I bought it for. So I bought that, and it took two and a half, three years to build. So in 1990, I moved out of my parents' house, and I and I bought that property with a I think I had a seventy five thousand dollar mortgage. And I, I lived in that property with my girlfriend at the time, and, and that's, it took me eight. It took me eight years, and it took me eight years of sacrificing by living in my parents' house. You know, I, it was great. My mother did my laundry. I had, a, you know, had a, my own space downstairs. She cooked for me, and I loved her cooking. So, you know, it wasn't such a sacrifice. But for a young man, you want to get out and do your own thing. So what they, what the first time buyers have to do is anything they can to get in the market. So maybe what a Vancouver first time buyer does is maybe they buy in uh, in a, a neighborhood in British Columbia that is not so far from where they are, you know where their center is, and they and they they drive uh, once a month, a couple hours to collect the rent and make sure everything's okay. They'll make money in that neighborhood. They got to they have to build their nest egg and their little fortune to get into the marketplace. It's not your birthright to graduate from university and have a degree and get an amazing job and buy an amazing house. It's nobody's birthright. You have to earn it. And I earned it. I struggled and worked very hard. None of my friends did it. None of my friends were willing to do what I was willing to do. So if you make excuses and you think that it's just your your privileged right as a Canadian citizen to have an amazing condo or house in Vancouver, you're wrong. You don't have that right. You got to work for it. Mm-hmm. So, so Brad, what about it? You know, we know you've had a lot of success throughout your career. What what were some of the biggest mistakes you made along the way? Well, I, my my first mistake was I waited too long to uh, to leave my the brokerage I worked at. 
Um, I was there, the, the, by far the number one guy generating business there. I had a pretty big name at the time in the early 90s. And I, I felt loyalty to my boss and, and I, I just had a hard time, you know, doing that, but I should have done it earlier. Um, and not that people shouldn't be loyal, but there, there's time in, in everyone's life where they need to, they need to do something for themselves. And, and, uh, so I should have done that. And the other thing I'd say is that, is that, um, uh, it's the, it's the opportunities I, I missed, you know, I, there's many of them that I could talk about that and they weren't small bit, small misses. Like I'll tell you about one parking lot, not far from my office that I, I bought with two other gentlemen for $3 million. And it's about a 30,000 square foot parking lot. We, and it's in prime Toronto and we flipped it, uh, two weeks later, for 335,000 or 300 and, Sorry, three point three five million. So we each benefited from a hundred thousand dollar boost, mm-hmm. and I thought that was great at the time. This is like nineteen. This is two thousand and one or two, and that parking lot today is worth over a hundred million dollars. Wow! That parking lot can can build. You could build five hundred thousand square feet of density on that parking lot all day long, twelve or thirteen or fourteen times coverage, let's say, and. And uh, at two hundred or two hundred fifty dollars a buildable foot, which is the number in the in the, the desirable part of Toronto, you're at a hundred million dollars. Now I made that mistake ten times in my life, where I could have bought something, and I I just I didn't do it. And now I did buy other things. It's not like I'm bereft and you know going to be on the street, but I could have done more, and I regret that I didn't. But then also, if I had done more maybe it would have put me in a position of not being able to be here. And, you know, because tenants leave properties, you have a hard time making payments. You default on a mortgage, someone takes it and it's a, it's a, it's a chain of events that can ruin people in real estate. So, uh, I don't really regret it, but I'd say that I've made some mistakes in the past that I should not have, uh, maybe I should have bought more of those properties. So, so speaking of opportunities and potentially missed opportunities in Toronto and Vancouver, especially right now, there's a lot of talk about cooling markets and there's been all sorts of government intervention. Where, where do you see the opportunities right now? Well, you, you'll notice that, um, that the, these kind of events happen. So in 1991, Bob Ray got elected. Do you know Bob Ray is? Yeah. Okay. And he completely ruined the Ontario economy. And, and four years later, he was out and Mike Harris was brought in. In British Columbia, you have a coalition between a socialist party and a Green Party. Green Party should never be in power, should never be in power. The Green Party's job is to force change through, uh, through some power and some lobbying efforts. But having a Green Party in power is just stupid. And having an NDP or Socialist Party in power anywhere in the world is stupid. And, and, and so BC is going to suffer for the length of time that that party's in power. And I guarantee you that party's gone in the next election. Guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I, don't, I think that Vancouver is going to struggle until this party is gone. Uh, the, the, the province has gone too far left. And the same thing with Alberta. I don't, I don't see big money. And, and people taking a big uh, um, risks in Alberta until Rachel Notley's gone. And it, it, she's actually a kind of a 
centrist when it comes to you know politics, even though she's an NDP, she's a, she's an Alberta NDP. Um, and then we had we had we had the most left wing uh, pro- premier in Ontario's history. She wasn't a liberal; she was an NDP. She was a radical, and she did terrible things to our economy. And she did terrible things to our real estate industry, like just horrendous, just, you know, not one thing, but 10 things. And, and so we, we, so what happened is that, you know, no party status, seven seats, um, people eventually wake up and say, I get it. This is not good. So I think that, uh, the future for us in Ontario is brighter than I think, uh, if, if 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 people want real estate prices to start rising again in Vancouver and the market tightening, it, it will not happen with this party to the same extent that it would happen if there was a uh, liberal or semi semi right wing party in power. Same thing in Alberta. In Toronto, we I think we like there's I think not least uh, is I think the elections in a year, so I think you're going to see things change in Alberta in about a year. I mean, change in a big way. There's a huge opportunity for people from Vancouver to buy a condo in Vancouver, get some managed for you, and in two or three years you're going to make a nice profit, and you can bring the money back to BC and maybe maybe get a down payment for a home. The, That's so, something for us. So, sorry, Brad, are you are you saying buying Calgary or Alberta as opposed? I think I think the, I think the, the 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 three best markets to buy in real estate. Right, sorry, the four best markets to buy in real estate are Calgary, Hamilton. Ottawa and Montreal. Those cities are all poised for, um, at some point, explosion of value growth because they're too cheap. They're way too cheap. I think Vancouver and Toronto have, have run, uh, and what's happening is what's necessary. Uh, retrenchment. Uh, otherwise, we would have blown up. Both, both cities would have blown up. Um, so there's going to be a retrenchment, which doesn't mean we had a retrenchment in 2008, 2009. It was a eight percent uh, recover, you know, loss of value, and the market started up again. I think you're going to see a similar kind of thing in, in both cities. It may last a little bit longer, where you go a little bit sideways longer in Vancouver because you have a government there that is completely anti-development, uh, anti-real estate, anti-wealth. You know, it's 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 an insane government, and 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 the thing is. You know, Vancouver, it's so funny because what happens in these cities like Toronto, Vancouver, is everyone points the finger at developers, greedy developers. You know, you have these massive NIMBYs networks. And the reality is it's all NIMBYs in government that cause their own problems. They just can't see the forest for the trees. You know, if Vancouver, if, if, if Vancouver had added, and all those buildings, they said, couldn't be higher than 28 or 32 stories, if they added 10 stories, what would have happened? Honestly, would the city have just exploded because there's too much height? <laughs> no. If they had allowed, allowed a, a condo to go from 50 to 65, nothing would have happened. It would have been fine. It would have been okay. And, but, but here's what would have happened. There would have been tens of thousands of more apartments uh, available, which would have kept pricing in check. And, and so now you can't go back. These buildings are there forever. You're never going to knock down a 300-unit condominium to build a bigger one. That's that. How are you going to get 300 people to sign on the dotted line to sell their unit? It's mm-hmm. never going to happen. They're doomed. The city. So Vancouver doomed itself for being a very expensive city, and Toronto's done the same because we have we have a we have a we have a socialist premier 
in, in the biggest run-up of real estate, and, 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 and when we needed support from government, we didn't get it. And then we have, we have a complete... Uh, you know, almost like radical left-wing governments running Toronto. We have a mayor that's not, but the, the all the downtown wards are, are primarily um, massively left-wing. Uh, and you saw that in the election; almost every every ward in the city went, went went orange. And these people do not see reality. They just don't understand that there's that. that I don't know if it's they, they they didn't go to school and get educated about about economics, but it's. And I, <clears throat> I know economics isn't a science, but it's pretty obvious that if you increase the supply of a product, the price will level off or fall. Mm -hmm. That's pretty obvious. And so if we've been constricting supply, if everything we've been doing in Toronto has been to constrict supply, how can you expect prices to do anything but rise? So we have, we, we've ruined this economy uh, for, for first-time buyers. Toronto is never going to be a place for first-time buyers, unless first-time buyers get help, it's the only. It's, it's it's like Vancouver, where it's going to be very hard for someone in Vancouver to ever buy a first home in Vancouver. They're going to have to do what I did as a stepping stone mm -hmm. over ten or fifteen years to get there, and be patient about how they have to get there. And it's going to be troublesome and a lot of work and so on. But in the end, they're going to get a home in the city they want to live in. But it's all government meddling that caused this. You just have to look at what 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 uh, councillors and mayors have done in Vancouver in the last thirty years to prevent density. Right, right. And we've had a lot of people on that have have said the same thing. It's, uh, it's well, there's a consensus at least with the people we talk to. Right. Well, it's it's obvious. I mean, you 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 know, it, it, it's there's no there's no denying. I, I can tell you that that my cost if I do a building that's three hundred thousand square feet. My costs are low are, are lower per square foot than if I do go it's one hundred and fifty thousand or one hundred eighty thousand square feet. I can reduce my prices by seven or eight percent. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's a huge amount when you're when you're at a thousand dollars a foot. That's one hundred and forty dollars or seventy dollars a square foot. That could be fifty thousand dollars in a purchase price in Toronto for a first time buyer. It's it's a it's a big chunk of money. Absolutely. So, um, Brad, I'm I'm just really interested here. You mentioned that uh, the four areas: Calgary, Hamilton, Ottawa, and, and Montreal. Um, if if you had a, a couple, well, call it a million bucks uh, to invest right now, w which of those markets would you probably go into, and, and what type of property? Well, so the, so most people uh, most people can't buy uh, commercial property because it's it's troublesome. It's troublesome to manage a plaza or a tenplex from a distance. Um, I, I think that if someone went to Calgary right now, they could buy a condominium in a in a fantastic building, probably for five fifty a foot. Um, Calgary was was more expensive than Toronto uh, in two thousand and seven. So it tells you where it could go. Um, Ottawa. So, so I have a ton of condos in, in uh, Calgary. I have a ton of condos in Ottawa, and I had at one point a ton of condos in Montreal. And I made a mistake in Montreal because I was so sick of the tenant situation there. It's so it's so uh, pro tenant that I raised rent from a thousand or eleven hundred dollars, five dollars, and the tenant would be like, "I'm leaving." Five dollars. You're leaving over five dollars. Yes, I'm leaving. So I, I had uh, a, a bunch of condos that I had bought. 
I developed a building there with partners, and and that and I spent a lot of time on trail because of that. And I saw the city changing, so I I was there on weekends. I walk into sales office and buy a couple of units at each building I went into, and I had them all rented. And I had a friend of mine managing them, and, and but I just I couldn't I could never get any more rent, and it just made me angry. At one point, I was like. It. I'm selling everything in Montreal. I'm never going back again as an investor. I've had it. And then I, I watched over the last year, Montreal just catch fire. And, and, and Montreal is, you know, it's it, Montreal, they, they have the right premier. They have a good mayor. Even the previous mayor that I think got into some trouble, he was very good for the city in the way of social works. Like, it's the most beautiful city um, on the street. You know, it, it's just constantly upgrading over that city, and it's it's got a lot of really great civic pride. and And I think it's a tiny city too, so it doesn't have a lot of room to grow. And they are tough about density, so I think that Montreal is great too. I, I mean, probably the three. Um, Ottawa might be the weakest because Ottawa is a government town and mm-hmm. you have a problem and, and, and this is a problem with Calgary too and that it's an oil town and so you have these swings but um, I like Calgary because it's been hammered so badly that I think there's going to be a huge upswing I like I, I like Ottawa because you have a government stability so you don't get wild increases just steady increases in price and the city's going to grow because this liberal government's going to be there for a very long time Justin Trudeau is young and people like them. And I think the liberals will be a dynasty for a while. And, and, and liberals are all about growing government. So I think that's a, a tremendous place to be. And I like, I like Hamilton, too, because Hamilton is a city. And it's the cheapest city. Well, it's, um, it's, it's sort of in the same part of these cities. But, um, you know, it's, it's kind of new to Hamilton that, that they're, people are seeing the opportunity. And I think that the growth of Toronto is enveloping uh, so many other areas. Hamilton is distinct and a standalone city, but it will be affected by the sprawl of Toronto. In, just in terms of people saying, "I'm not buying a house for 1.5 million dollars in Toronto, and I can buy a house for 500,000 in Hamilton, and mm-hmm. it's the same house, and I can live in Hamilton, and I can work in Hamilton, you know, it's, and I can visit Toronto whenever I want." So it's hard to pick, to be honest with you. I think that, um, but in all cases, I would buy I would buy condominiums because in all of those cities, uh, you can make money as a landlord. I mean, you can buy, you can put thirty percent down. Um, uh, you can, and I buy them from floor plans. So don't buy something that's existing. Someone's already made the money on that. Buy something from floor plans. Wait three or four or five years. It, you know, so so when you when you get possession of it, you bought it in you know 2018 prices. You're closing in 2023, so you you now own a property with 2023 prices, and your rent is 2023, which means you probably got a 20% bump in rent. So all your modeling is going to look very conservative, and these these cities you can buy property, rent it, and make money, which you can't do in Toronto, you can't do in Vancouver. Right. Right. Excellent advice. So, so is there one book uh, that you've read that everyone interested in real estate should should uh, get a hold of? Or are you kind no, of? It's not, there's, there's not one book, but I'll tell you, I wrote a book. Let <laughs> it's called the Condominium, Condominium Millionaire, and we we've 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 run it out through the 
through every city we've worked in to show people that in each city they can do this. We're about to update it again with new numbers because we haven't done it for two years. If people want to learn the basics, because it's, this is, you know, you don't want to overthink this. It's not complicated. This book is 25 pages long. Read it. It'll show you exactly what you have to do and how you have to do it. And it's not going to take you more than 40 minutes to read. It's all you need to know about the condominium business uh, in terms of being an investor. And it will also give you, if you read it and understand the fundamentals, you can apply them to buying a plaza, a, you know, a, an apartment building. I just say this one thing about why condominiums in my mind are better than those other uh, genres of investment properties. And here's why. When you buy a plaza, you're going to sell it on the cap rate. You're going to sell on the income. That's the only way it's going to sell. If cap rates are 5%, no one's going to give you more than a multiple of 5% on your gross, on your net income. Mm-hmm. That's the way it is. Same thing with apartment building, same thing with an office building, same with, with a, any retail space. But what's great about a condo, if you buy a condo, condominium can sell for a cap rate. So an investor could say, I, I, well, I need to get a, a net income on this. And I, you know, I, wa- I want to have a positive cash flow. But but 99% of the time, you sell a condo as a single-family home. So you buy it from a developer on a cap rate program where you want to see close to positive cash flow year one or positive cash flow year one. It's hard, but you might be able to do it. But if you can't do it, it could be pos- it could be it could be positive cash flow year one from the standpoint of setting off how much you pay off in your mortgage. Right, so if you lose a grand or two a year, but you're uh, paying off eight thousand in your mortgage, it's not cash flow. It doesn't qualify as cash flow, but you're still up six grand a year in terms of getting richer, right? Regardless of it going up in value. But when you go to sell it, you don't you, you sell it to an end user who doesn't doesn't care about cash flow or uh, cash flow or cap rate or price per square foot. They care about can I afford it or can I not? So you can buy it on the cheap based on the fundamentals of rental real estate, and you can sell it as a single-family home at the highest valuation possible. And it's the only real estate you can do that with. And that's why I like it, because you pick your time to sell, and you can, you can make... You know, people, people bought condos from us. At the building we're completing right now, they bought condos at 530 to 540 a square foot. They're going to sell, and, and they're going to close in another few months. And once they close... Uh, they can sell those for eleven hundred and twenty-five or eleven fifty a foot. So they put, you know, uh, on a two hundred fifty thousand dollars small condo, they're, they're going to put like um, maybe twenty-five percent down. So you know what, sixty-five thousand down. And if they sell it, they can, they're going to pull out three hundred and twenty thousand dollars. You could never do that ever with a plaza or an apartment building. It's just, it's a way to, to you know, you got to buy a lot of them to get rich, but it's a, it's, it's a very good way for small investors to get ahead. And I don't suggest that they sell them at that point. I suggest they refinance them and go buy another two, mm-hmm. right? And then take the 25 years to pay off your mortgage, have the tenant pay off your mortgage over 25 years. The worst case scenario is you own a condo outright in 25 years. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, 
So, Brad, uh, we got just one last question before we let you go, and we really appreciate your time. But um, we're big fans of This Lamb Sells Condos, uh, the ad that you did there. I think it was around 2007, if, uh, if I'm correct on that. Um, how did that come about? <laughs> uh, well, so um, I, I, I did this um, I did this ad in 2000 and I uh, can't remember. It's a, a very long, long time ago, maybe even in the nineties. And, um, no one will remember this, but Burt Reynolds did this. Uh, do you know who Burt Reynolds is? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Lots of people don't. So Burt Reynolds was a big movie star in the seventies and he did this cosmopolitan, um, spread where he was lying on like a fur rug and he was naked and he was kind of lying horizontally with his head on his, on his, on his arm, you know, like sort of, and I think his knee was up too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and he had the bearskin rug covering his, you know, stuff. And, and, uh, I remember seeing that thinking that's, that's, that's kind of funny, you know, cause, uh, it caused a huge uproar at the time. And so when I was, when I was doing, when, uh, you know, my name is Brad Lamb and, and at the time Brad Pitt was, you know, very sexy, you know, popular actor and everybody knew him. And I thought, okay, I'm going to lie. I'm going to lie in this kind of horizontal thing. Well, I'll do it. My, I'll lie on my logo. So my logo is like a table and, and the caption will be, okay, he's no Brad Pitt, but he sells a ton of condos. <laughs> and that was the first thing I did. And it caused an absolute uproar. You know, people were like, what the f***? Who, who does real estate ads like that? And ad, ad agencies would call me and say, they should arrest you. That ad's so bad. I said, yeah, but you called me. Yeah. <laughs> like, how many people do you call and say, I like your ad, right? So it got me thinking about crazy ads. And then, you know, obviously my, my name being Lamb, I thought, well, how weird would it look for me to be like a minotaur and put my... <laughs> you know, fat round head on a lamb and have a silly little smile on it and just start having funny little captions about it. So the first one I was, you know, was that this slam sells condos. Um, and then I had a bunch of them. I, you know, I had like 10 different ads over a while that, that I did with that. And actually this year I'm back at that ad. I had that ad, uh, downtown. It's even sillier. This year I'm, I'm wearing scuba gear with a scuba with a, like a, like a glass bowl over my head and I'm attached directly to a submarine by a hose and there's a great white shark coming after me and I have a spear gun and it says, um, what does it say? It says, uh, uh, we go to great depths to sell you your home or sell you a property or something like that. My my favorite is the uh, miles above the competition ad where you're a lamb in space. Um, <laughs> yeah, and no, I did that too. Yeah. So so Brad, how how can people find out more about your developments and and what you do? Also also find out more about the book. Like, is that an ebook or do you buy that on Amazon? No, it's free. I don't I don't make people pay for it. We we are going to start printing a bunch for Ottawa and. Uh, Toronto again, and if people want it, they they just need to email info at torontoconnors dot com, and we'll we'll pop one in the mail to them. And um, with respect to our projects, um, we are we are we are very close to um, relaunching our our now um, tired and old website. Um, 
Brad J. Lamb Realty.com, I think it is. And um, and then they can go to TorontoCondos.com. Uh, sorry, they can go to LambDev.com, LambDev.com, and Brad J. Lamb Realty.com. And they can get information on our new projects. So they can just send an email at the info at TorontoCondos.com and um, uh, my office will get back to them about what's coming up and what's new. We also have a newsletter that uh, we we produce quarterly um, and uh, we just we, that's available through email or we pop in the mail or something if they want a hard copy. So anything they want in that, of that nature, they just have to send an email to that that address and we'll send it off to them. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Brad. That was a fascinating discussion. I think uh, everyone will learn a lot from it. Oh, you're welcome. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.